The following sermon is from the Westminster Pulpit, extending the worship ministry of Westminster Presbyterian Church, Lancaster, Pennsylvania. We are a local congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America. Please contact us for permission before reproducing this message in any format. I'd invite you to turn uh, with me, if you have, for a few minutes uh, in your Bibles to the Old Testament, to the book of Zephaniah, Zephaniah chapter 3. Uh, it's our habit during the Advent season, the four Sundays leading up to Christmas, to share times in God's Word, and this year we're looking particularly at prophecies of the coming Messiah. And tonight we're going to hear a wonderful piece of music as a result, our service is a little bit different uh, than normal. You're not going to hear a full sermon from me tonight, but I do want to take a few minutes to look at Zephaniah 3, and my goal is just to, to see one thing in this text of Scripture tonight, one thing, and that is the exuberant joy that comes when long-awaited hope for the world arrives. I'm going to read from Zephaniah chapter 3, Zephaniah chapter 3. And this is found uh, in, the, in the Old Testament. If you want to follow along in a Bible in front of you in the pews, it can be found on pages 789 and 790. So where God says to us, Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion, let not your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. I will gather those of you who mourn for the festival, so that you will no longer suffer reproach. Behold, at that time, I will heal, or I will deal with all your oppressors, and I will save the lame and gather the outcast. I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. At that time, I will bring you in. At the time when I gather you together, for I will make you renowned and praised among all the peoples of the earth, when I restore your fortunes before your eyes, says the Lord. This is... God's Word. This is a time of year that reminds us, particularly the young among us, that waiting is not easy. And as the wait gets longer, the harder the wait becomes. You would think maybe that the closer you get to Christmas morning, uh, the easier the wait becomes, but it, it doesn't work that way, does it? The longer you wait, the more the anticipation builds, the harder it becomes to wait. And sometimes when waits become particularly long, we just stop thinking about it or, or maybe stop believing that the event's going to happen as a, a coping mechanism for the intensity of our desire that is unfulfilled. In the Bible, Proverbs thirteen twelve says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. We know that feeling when we're waiting. 
And there's certain things that I've waited for a long time for. My guess is each of you have things that you could identify that you've waited for. It's like the time that we ordered my son a new bike helmet in May so he could get riding and didn't realize till afterwards that it was shipping from China and it took six weeks to arrive before he could ride with his new helmet. Of course, that's nothing compared to your weight if you would like to have dinner at Damon Bahrel in New York City. Maybe some of you are familiar with this restaurant. They are attempting to work through a backlog of dinner reservations right now, and so they've not accepted any new dinner reservations since March of 2014. At the time, they estimated that their current reservation wait list lasted 10 years. So you probably have another six years, seven years before you might want to consider putting your name on the late. It's a long time to wait for your dinner. But of course, dinner is not really all that significant compared to the, the, the weight that many others have in life. There's a new feature documentary that's just been aired or screened in its initial screenings for the first time in recent weeks called Journey Beyond Fear. This documentary chronicles the 18-year wait for resettlement experienced by one Afghan refugee family in the wake of 2000. The film describes what one reviewer calls the soul-crushing journey through anticipation, rejection, oppression, waiting, losing hope, waiting some more before the resettlement actually happens. But even 18 years of waiting for resettlement fades in its magnitude when we open God's Word and read of generation after generation that's waiting, waiting, longing with the ache as God's people experience sin, failure, punishment, and oppression, striving to keep their grasp on the promise of God's hope. Zephaniah is this prophet that we've read from tonight. He was prophesying in the nation of Judah in around 600 B.C., a little before 600 B.C. And at this point in the history of God's people, they have a long history already of waiting, of unfulfilled hope, largely because of their continued sin and rebellion against God. God would call them to live one way, and God's people would turn and live their own way. They waited in the wilderness for 40 extra years while one whole generation died who had sinned against God before they entered the promised land. They waited for a king to lead them in God's ways over the course of 200 years of sin and oppression, rescue, sin, and oppression through the time of the judges. They saw their kings, once they had kings, turn away from God to the point that when Zephaniah is speaking, ten of the twelve tribes of Israel have been scattered, captured, sent into exile. And here we have the southern kingdom of Judah. They're largely walking the same path to the point where when Zephaniah is prophesying, God has already told Judah that they will be taken captive, that they will be punished, that they will experience the same devastation because of their sin. All this, all this has come upon a nation a nation of Israel that was waiting for promises. They were waiting to be a people established in a land as God's own possession. They were a nation waiting for all the nations to be blessed through them 
as the offspring of Abraham. It was a nation waiting for a seed to crush a serpent's head and restore relationship with God around the tree of life. And yet, wait and wait, this people did. Their hope did not die. Much of that comes because God's prophets continued to tell God's people that the day of fulfilled promises was still coming. And in our passage tonight, this phrase, on that day, at that time, appears four times as the prophet says, yes, you're waiting, but there's coming a day, there's coming a day when hope will arrive. And there's two particular things that Zephaniah tells his people that are going to come on this day of hope. Look, look at this passage if you have it open in front of you. First, first, Zephaniah says that the Lord will take away the judgments against you and clear away your enemies. We're told that God will deal with your oppressors and change your shame into praise. Earlier in this chapter, Zephaniah had described Israel as a rebellious and defiled, oppressing city who listens to no voice, accepts no correction, who does not trust in the Lord and does not draw near to her God. This is how Zephaniah described Israel. What should this kind of a nation, one who doesn't listen, accepts no uh, correction, doesn't trust in the Lord, what should they expect? Well, justice demands the wrath of God, the wrath of God's punishment, the loss of the city and of their land. But in the face of this, Zephaniah comes again and promises hope against all hope that the just God is actually going to come on that day to forgive sin, to clear away sin, to clear away guilt, shame, enemies, oppressors, and restore his people to such an extent that they will never again fear evil. This is the first promise that the Lord makes in this passage. But secondly, This passage, Zephaniah promises the presence and love of God that will be a joy to the hearts of God's people. Zephaniah says that the king of Israel will be in their midst, a mighty one who will save. This king is none other than the Lord himself, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, if you think about it, one might expect a different attitude from the Lord of the universe in the face of sin and rebellion. In the face of sin and rebellion, wrath and judgment is to be expected. But here on that day, we're told, no, he is coming to save. And his attitude towards his people is so beautifully described. Look at verse 17, particularly, the Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. Pause and let those phrases sink into your heart. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. These phrases describe God's attitude at being with his reconciled and redeemed people, at bringing them back to himself, and the strength and steadfastness of his love is so faithful and so strong that it quiets God's people in all their fears and all their anxieties, despairs, and pains. What a promise is described here in Zephaniah chapter 3. Well, Zephaniah declares in closing, 
He will bring his scattered people in. He will gather them together and make them a people again and make them renowned and praised among the earth. This is a strong hope, but it's a strong hope that's still waiting. It's waiting for that day. When will that day come? You know the picture, right, of a five-year-old waiting for Christmas? You've probably heard one of them say at some point, Mom, I just can't wait any longer. And surely God's people have to think that. It's the ache of the longing for promised hope. God's people have 600 more years to wait, though. 600 more years from Zephaniah, waiting for hope, unsure when it will come. Until one night, one night on a hillside, an angel announces Emmanuel, God with us. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. And at such a moment, when hope arrives, the hope of centuries of God's people, the hope of all the nations, when that moment arrives, it's no wonder that all the host of heaven shows up on that night to rejoice with jubilant songs of glory to God in the highest, glory to God and on earth peace among those whom he is pleased. Tonight, you and I are invited to come to the Savior. Maybe you have never come to him before. Maybe you think that, well, Jesus is something we talk about at Christmas time. No, he is the hope for all of us at all times. We are invited to know the joy of our God, the quiet of resting in his love, the clearing away of sin, guilt, and shame. How? Through faith in Jesus Christ. And so it's through faith in Jesus Christ that we are invited to join with the angel's song, to delight and echo the angel's song. Glory to God in the highest. The wait is over. God is here. The Lord, the King, is in our midst. Hallelujah and glory to God. Let me pray for us. Father, Father, the wait went on for centuries. Centuries from the initial moment of sin and rebellion that spread to all mankind, lost and waiting for hope to come until that baby was born, but no ordinary baby, the Son of God, the King of Israel in our midst. We are now offered salvation in Him. I pray that it's in the joy of this salvation, the Savior who clears away guilt and shame and offers the quiet of your steadfast love. May we delight to hear these words, glory to God in the highest and peace on earth to those who come through His Son. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.